Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. I think Jeremiah could have gone on and said a whole bunch of stuff that would have told God, you've made a mistake. I'm not your man. I'm too young. There's nothing outstanding about me. Somebody who's got public prominence, use them. God was speaking to the nation of Israel through Jeremiah. Was Jeremiah successful in his work for God? Tonight, a look at God's idea of success. Let's join Dr. Corbett now. Okay, please turn with me to Jeremiah. It's the second major prophet, Jeremiah. So it's just after halfway in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to read a little bit, and I'm going to pray, ask God to help us, and trust that the same spirit that inspired this Bible is also going to help us to understand it. So reading from verse 1, I'm going to read down to verse 3, and then we're going to pray. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have moved upon men such as Jeremiah and have inspired this word, quickened it from God, this is the, the, the communication from God to us. And Father, we thank you that you have given us this revealed word of who you are, your will, your ways. And now, Lord, I pray that as we open it up, that you'll help me to shed some light on this so that we can be better equipped to read and understand your word. And help us, Lord, to be able to take what we hear today Apply it to our lives so that, Father, our lives can be made better and that, Father, our lives can help make life better for others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Jeremiah. We're starting what I would call, to use Josh's language, an epic journey. This could take a while. Kim said, to me last night, you, you realise how long this is going to take to get through at the pace you're setting? And she said, it'll take three years. And, and I said, if I hurry. So I, I'm in no hurry to do this because I think this book is so important and I, and I want to show you why. Jeremiah is known as the prophet who wept. And he's an unusual prophet. He, he came on the scene some 70 years after the death of Isaiah. Isaiah was the first, what we call, major prophet. And Isaiah and Jeremiah share a lot of similarities. They both lived in a time when their prophecies were fulfilled within their lifetime. Both of them gave prophecies that extended hundreds of years beyond their lifetime. Both of these men were immediately respected and highly regarded and both of these men were persecuted for what they had to say. In one of the most amazing prophecies that the prophet Isaiah gave, it's found in the last verse of Isaiah 44 and the first verse of Isaiah 45, 
he actually prophesies, he predicts how the, the empire succession of the world will take place. He predicts the coming Babylonian empire. He predicts that this Babylonian empire, by the way, at the time, Babylon was a nothing. It was a non-entity. And he predicts that Babylon will, will be taken over by a, a merger of two kingdoms called the, <clears throat> the Medo-Persian Empire. And not only does he do that, in the last part of Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45, he actually names, he names the emperor who was to come 300 years after he gave the prophecy. That's not bad. In fact, that's amazing. He names this man. This man's name was Cyrus. And so Isaiah died being one of the most honoured prophets, this man who within his own lifetime gave prophecies that were immediately fulfilled and then gave prophecies that are just breathtaking in their detail. Around 750 BC or so, Isaiah prophesied 40 details of the life of Christ, where he would be born, how he would be treated, where he would be buried, what he would do throughout his life, how he would die, how he would rise again. You read that in Isaiah 52 and 53. 40 details. To be fulfilled 750 years later. That's beyond guesswork. The probability, every time you introduce a detail, the probability exponentially grows of you being wrong or being right. If we say tomorrow it's going to rain, that's one detail, we've got a one in two chance of being right. But if we say it's going to rain at 11 o'clock, we've just introduced another detail. We've We've got a, a one in something like a one in 24 chance, considering that there's 24 hours in the day. And so on. When you give 40 details, you have a one in, it's something like 10 to the power of 33 chance of just guessing well. In other words, it wasn't a guess. This was divinely inspired. And Jeremiah comes along in this vein, 70 years after the prophet Isaiah. And Jeremiah is unusual because not only does he prophesy events that are about to immediately take place, not only does he prophesy events that would take place 600 years after he gave the prophecy. Remarkable. Just remarkable. That's why we know the Bible is no ordinary book. This is from God. No other holy book. The Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, no other holy book makes such prophetic claims as the Bible you're holding in your hands on your lap. Jeremiah also has many parallels between him and Christ, Jesus Christ. They both came from Judah. They both came from a, a, an out of, uh, they weren't part of Jerusalem. Anathoth, a town, is about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. There's a bit of history to it. Christ was also born in a town with a bit of history, the town of Bethlehem. They, they were both young when they began their ministry. Their names mean what they were. The name Jeremiah means the Lord founds and exalts. And it's interesting that we're going to see throughout this book that Jeremiah uses words and names in a, 
in a very powerful way. Because the, the name Jeremiah means someone who founds, which means you have to clear the foundation. And God spoke to him and said, before we can get going, we've got to clear these foundations. We have to found something new and build upon it, exalt something. But we'll see that in a moment. So that's, that's what the name Jeremiah actually means. So Jeremiah, sharing many parallels with, with Christ, they both spoke of the new covenant. We read in Jeremiah 31 that Jeremiah prophesied of a new covenant. This is the, one of the most outstanding things about the book of Jeremiah because the whole book really is Jeremiah pointing people to the covenant that they should be having with God. This word covenant, we're going to explore what this means as we progress. So this book of Jeremiah is really, really important because what we have here is Jeremiah giving a, a prophecy that was literally unbelievable. I know that's an expression today and I know we, we say it when we don't actually mean it, but it really was unbelievable. When he gave the, the mother of prophecies, and that was this, the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to overrun the city and eventually they're going to destroy the city and destroy the temple. And this was the, the, the heart of what, of what Jeremiah was prophesying and the people said, that's ridiculous. That will never happen. Because God is in the temple. And the people had confused physicality, physical objects with the sacred. And God is not confined to bricks and mortar. We didn't come into church today. We are the church today. This is, yes, in one sense, we have committed this building to God. And yes, we refer to this as the house of God. But this is not the house of God. You are. And the people are totally confused it because they, they left the temple and just lived the way they wanted because, well, I've left the temple. I'm not living for God anymore. Walk into the temple and become religious. And Jeremiah, boy, he was scathing on this. Scathing. God is not part-time. God is full-time. You live in a covenant relationship. And the closest thing that we can draw to what a covenant looks like is the word marriage. And, and every husband will, who strays will find out that if you treat your marriage as a part-time thing, you will suffer the wrath of the one you formed a covenant with. And just as Jeremiah said, with God, you have formed a covenant with him. This is not something you pick up and put down. This is something you live in all the time. And so Jeremiah was very unpopular, just as Jesus was. Yes, there were times when Jesus had 15,000 people on a hillside listening to him. But when it came to the crunch, there were 12. Then one of those betrayed him and committed suicide. And then when it came to the cross, there was three and then one. Only one of his disciples stayed with him to the end. This is like Jeremiah. We're going to see that one of his friends stayed with him as well. Many parallels between him and Christ. To the extent that when Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 14, he asked this question to his disciples. He'd been ministering by then for about a year or two. And he said to his disciples, what are you hearing? Who do people say that I am? And one of the responses that the disciples reported back to Jesus was, 
Some say that you are Jeremiah. So even in his day, people could see the parallels between Jeremiah and Jesus. So this book is really, really important. We're going to see that when what Jeremiah prophesies, Christ re-prophesied. Jesus quoted from Jeremiah. Jeremiah punctuates the life of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. One of the opening prophecies about Christ is from Jeremiah. One of the closing prophecies of Christ is from Jeremiah. Jeremiah features large in the life of Christ. So strangely, we have a lot to learn about Jesus by looking at this prophet, Jeremiah. So who was he? We're told that he was the son of a prophet, uh, sorry, the son of a priest, Hilkiah. And we know that at about the time that he was born, around about 636, 640 BC, that it was about that time that the law was rediscovered. That is, the Bible, which had been curiously lost for several hundred years, was refound. It was found written on parchments of what's called vellum, which is scraped leather, almost paper-like, but it endures a long time. And it was found hidden in jars, put in a wall and sealed up. And as they were excavating parts of the temple, they found it. And the king at that time, his name was Josiah. Josiah read the law and reformed Judah, reformed Israel. And the law would have been taught. And young Jeremiah, from, a, from the youngest age, would have been taught probably by his dad the law of God. And he would have grown up being very familiar with the Bible, very familiar with the law, which in that time was the first five books of the Bible. So... Jeremiah, we're going to see today that while he, he prophesied all these things, the thing that makes Jeremiah unique is that as he is prophesying this, he's also sharing his story. This is amazing, just how much of his heart we get to see. In fact, in just a few verses, we're going to read about his heart. And this is incredible because this is not somebody willingly serving God. This is someone at best reluctantly serving God, at worst unwillingly serving God. And maybe that should mess with some of our theology a bit, that God can do that to someone. And he, he felt what he, what he was saying. And, and, and scholars have observed that Jeremiah was, a, was, was kind of a left-brain, right-brain guy. You know, like, what is it, the left brain that does, is it maths, and the right brain does art, or is it the other way around? Whatever it is. He, he, he could be very analytical, but he could be very poetic. In fact, one-third of this book is written in rhyming poetry. That's not easy. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Some poems rhyme, this one doesn't. You see, <laughs> getting things to rhyme and make sense, it's very difficult. Yet for a third of the book, it's poetry. So you see, this, this is a man who felt what he was saying. One third of it is just historical data. 
And, and this same Jeremiah would go on to write the history of the kings of Israel. So this is really interesting about a prophet. In order to warn people about their future, one of the, one of the things that Jeremiah did was he wanted them to know about their past. History is really important. And Jeremiah knew it. And so we have today First and Second Kings which were put together by Jeremiah. He wanted Israel in particular to know their history. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, we see another glimpse of his heart. He wasn't a cold preacher. He wasn't someone who just preached. In fact, one of the, one of the outstanding parts of Jeremiah is that we read that he, he delivered these prophetic words. And then we get a glimpse of how he felt when he gave those words and how people responded to him when he gave those words. And he says this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. So he felt the daughter of my people. He felt what he was saying. This was something very close to his heart. Now, about this time, 639 or 640 when he was born, when Jeremiah was born, Josiah, an eight-year-old boy, became king. And just after that, as I've mentioned before, the law was found. The scriptures were found again, having been lost for several hundred years. And by the time Jeremiah was at that point where in Jewish society a young boy becomes a man, which is around about the age of 12, around about that time, Josiah was beginning to lose heart. And just four years after that, when um, presumably Jeremiah would have been about 16, King Josiah, one of the most popular kings of Israel, was killed in battle, having been warned by various prophets not to go to battle. And Jeremiah would have seen this. The next king that came along after Josiah was somebody who went to the temple, who offered the sacrifices, who continued to look religious. And then God speaks to Jeremiah and says, this man is rotten to the core. And Jeremiah at this time would have been about 16, 17, 18 years of age when he began to prophesy. We're going to read about the call of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's call. We read in verse 4, and we'll come back to this in a moment. Now the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Some of the background to the call of Jeremiah. We read in verse 4 that the Lord says, 
I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb. This is amazing. And we, and because there is some debate among some people is when does a person's life begin? When does a person begin? In Jeremiah verse one, chapter 1 verse 5, God is saying from the moment of conception I began to form you and I knew you as a person. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. We also see that God's calling an individual, and I just want to explore this just for a moment, the individual in the eyes of God. The individual in the eyes of God. Because you notice what's happening here in verse 5? From the moment of conception, he was called. God called him. But that's not all God did. He consecrated him. That is, he assigned to him, which is another word that he goes on to use, he, he sets him apart. You're going to be mine for a very special task. And he was assigned a task. God used an individual. God used an individual. And sometimes when we approach God, we think that God is so distant, the word is transcendent, that he doesn't see me. I don't even rate. Here's God who sees a person from a zygote which is the, 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 the moment of conception. And God says, I formed you in your mother's womb. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that that's indeed what God has done to all of us. Called us, formed us, knows us, consecrated us and calls us. The other week I was talking with somebody who said that their life, even though they haven't lived very long, has been punctuated by some four or five near death, as in they nearly died, type experiences. They became a Christian, quite young, had a couple more I should have been dead type moments, and it causes them to reflect, I think, someone has their hand on my life. That's a good way to think because the evidence is screaming that. Maybe you've had experiences like that as well. There is an unseen hand guiding your life. Let's read verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, verse 7, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Verse 8, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So we're going to unpack some of this. So here's my question. Part of... A large part of my, my Christian walk with God, my, my relationship with God, is me asking God to keep me on track. Do you pray like that? God, I want to do your will. I want to make sure I'm not going off this way or that way, but I'm walking with you. I'm walking in the middle of your will. So here's the question I want to ask. How does God guide? 
How does God God guide? And I want you to see just in this passage, and this is certainly not the only passage we could build this case upon, but I think we can make, a, make this case from Scripture. God does guide. That simple. Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. He what? He leads me. He leads me. Now, I know that there are some people that are looking for guidance and God's leading that kind of looks like clouds forming letters in the sky, instructions that clear or, or, or other sorts of things. And, and in my own life, I, I've had moments of unmistakable clarity to the guidance of God. One of them happened to me nearly 23 years ago. And I only share this because it is such a big one in my life that when some 23 years ago, I had a dream. I was a single man. I was about three years old at the time. (laughs) No, I wasn't. I was about 20-something. And... I had a dream. And, and it follows on the fact that, that for a week I had been intensely praying as much as I could. I'm not like Mark Jago. I don't get up at 5.30 to pray with God. I talk to God at 10 in the morning when he's not busy. So, <clears throat> and I'd been praying for God's guidance and, and I had this very vivid dream. It was so vivid. I remember seeing a girl. I saw her in the dream. I, I heard what I thought was her name. Bit of a worry, because I thought I heard her name was Ken. <laughs> now, I actually I was working for Kmart at the time. I actually went to Kmart Next day, and I'm, I was managing about six staff immediately at that time. And I, and I happened to mention a couple of them. Oh, I had this really freaky dream last night. I saw this girl. She had blonde hair, and she had earrings here and here and here. And, and it was really weird. Her name was Ken. Uh, uh, uh. Um, about a month later, I was at Deakin University in Geelong, the town of the greatest football team in the universe. And I was at a Christian meeting, and I, and I was... Uh, playing guitar that night and, and I packed, packed my guitar up and between me and the door was an Aussie girl and didn't think much of it. And Many of you have heard this story but I say this that when I put my guitar away I looked up and, and between me and the door was this girl so I said well I'll, I'll say goodbye to her at least I hadn't said anything. I looked at her, straight blonde hair, ear, four or five earrings in each ear, I looked at her and the first thought that came into my head was you're the girl of my dreams. Now, I know enough about how you interact with girls. Actually, no, I don't. But anyway, I know. know. (laughs) But I know that you don't say the first thing that comes into your head. So I didn't say that. But I saw her and I thought, earrings, bleached blonde hair, it's you. Now, I'm just trying to be cool, which is, you know, those who know me, that's, that's me. I'm just... Trying all the time. (laughs) 
trying hard, my, my kids say. <clears throat> they just abbreviate it to try hard. And, 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 and I'm there with, with Kim, not Ken. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to dealing with people with issues, but, you know, I have my limits. And, and here we have Kim and... And, and I'm talking with her, and, I'm, and I'm, there's just something mm, bubbling inside here. And I, and, I, and I said, look, I don't know if this means anything to you. And I just shared a couple of things I'd seen in the dream. And next thing, she just bursts into tears and falls to the ground. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to talk to girls, let alone talk to weeping, sobbing girls. I was convinced at that point I was going to be single the rest of my life. And, 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 I, and there's this weeping. So I just sat down on the ground beside her and just kept talking to her. I don't think she heard a thing I said, but I just talking with her. And then we, then we went out and, and I said, and there was, look, there's just something else I've got to ask you. Has this happened? Oh, more tears and yes and, and oh, okay, well. Anyway, nine months later we were engaged. And uh, <laughs> uh, now I say that because for me that was that was a very very clear direction and guidance from God that something was about to happen in my life. Not everything's like that. I actually think that's extraordinary. And I think we have just the fact that we have this record of Jeremiah. Have you noticed how many books of Jeremiah there are in the Bible? There's one. In other words, how God dealt with Jeremiah. I've heard some people reason like this. Because God did this to Jeremiah, he can do it to us. And yeah, I suppose. But some people go so far as to say because God did it this way with Jeremiah, he must do it with us. And I think that's a stretch. I think generally God's guidance will come through his unseen, invisible guiding hand. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. He does. He will lead. And and. And Jeremiah, we're going to see, was clearly led. He received extraordinary grace to hear from God. Now, some of us at times will pray, Oh, God, I really want to hear you clearly. And I'm not so sure if you really understood what you're praying, you would actually keep praying that. Because Jeremiah did. And what we find is Jeremiah saying, Stop it! I can't handle this. And I suspect that God in his grace withholds himself just enough from us and gives us just enough guidance for us to be able to live an obedient life. How does God guide those he calls? I think God does set up circumstances. What, so here's the question. What part in Jeremiah's birth did he play? What a silly question. None. What does God say? He ordained it. He ordained Jeremiah's birth. And I guess we could ask the same question of each one of us here. What part in your birth did you play? I mean, the joke about hereditary traits is that you have to pick your parents well. Which is just, how can you? So, so there's a sense in which God knows. Now, now, there's a pastoral point here because some of us live with deep bitterness toward our parents. Some of us may not even know who our parents are. And it's a deep regret and a deep 
angst in our life. And if we can understand that you are not an accident, God has ordained you to be alive. God has got his hand on you. And I know that for some people, they have been told by their parents, you were an accident. And if I was in the room and their parents said it, I would immediately say, don't you dare talk to your children like that. They are not an accident. They are planned by God. Planned by God. Jeremiah was. And Jeremiah was someone who... who who was yielded to God, and God guided him. And I think we can experience the guidance of God as well. Notice what Jeremiah's response. We're going to see something in a moment about what God actually called Jeremiah to do, but notice his response. God says, I'm going to speak very clearly to you. I'm going to use you to speak to nations, and we'll touch on that in a minute. What was Jeremiah's response? I can't. I'm too young. I'm too young. I think Jeremiah could have gone on, but I don't think God let him. I think Jeremiah could have gone on and said a whole bunch of stuff that would have told God, you've made a mistake. I'm not your man. I'm too young. There's nothing outstanding about me. I'm I'm a geek. I'm the son of a priest. Get somebody who's a former footballer, for Pete's sake. Get somebody who's got public prominence. Use them. I'm a guy who's into books and poetry. Who's going to listen to that? Jeremiah could have gone on about that. But he, I think God cut him off. And here's the thing. When God puts something in your heart, and often the way he'll do it is he'll open your eyes to a need. You'll see a need. That's often God's guidance. And if that's the case, I mean, there are, there are needs that you see that I don't see. There are needs that, that you see that others around you don't see very clearly, but you do. And I think that's the call of God on people's lives. You know, God kind of cuts Jeremiah off there. I don't want to hear about this, Jeremiah. And then he just launches straight into this. We, we come down to um, verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. How would you like God to say that to you? For some people on the surface, God says to you, I'm going to send you somewhere and don't be afraid of them. Oh, good. Praise God. (laughs) Now think about it just for a minute. I'm going to send you somewhere. Jeremiah, there's one thing I don't want you to do. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jeremiah's told, don't be afraid. And of all the things, and this is, I guess what I want you to see is that when God puts his command into your heart, not only does he put the command into your heart, he puts the grace to obey the command into your heart. Remember when Peter was in the boat, he saw Jesus walking on the water? What did Peter say to Jesus? If that is you, Lord, bid me come. And what did Jesus say? Come. And it's a command. What was within that command? The power to obey. Out of the boat he walked. And while he walked in obedience, he walked on the water. And so sometimes we look at the commands of God and we go, I can't do that. I can't live up to that without realising that within the command is the power to obey. And Jeremiah received this command of God and he obeyed it. Boy, he was fearless. If you're looking for a biblical hero, put Jeremiah at the top of your list. 
Now come back with me to what God actually said in verse 5 to Jeremiah. Here's, here's this Hebrew prophet. What was the Hebrews' world? It was Israel, and that was it. That was it. The rest of the other nations were heathen. They had a derogatory word for them. They called them goyim, unclean. And, these guys, and we, we only have to read of a fellow by the name of Jonah when God called him to go to a goyim people, what his response was. They were, these guys borderline racist. Uh, it doesn't quite go into that zone, so we, we, we come back a bit and we use the word nationalist. They were very nationalist. Their nation was the most important nation. Their nation is the only nation that mattered. And you know when you become a Christian, we can love Australia, but God help us if we think our nation is the only nation that matters. But that's how Jeremiah would have thought. So look at what, what God said in verse to him when he said, I have appointed you to, not the nation, not a prophet to the nation, but a prophet to the what? Nations. Now this would have rocked his world. Totally rocked his world. So Jeremiah was to, you know, if he was to look at himself and go, look, I'm someone who's in the book, books, I'm in the art, I'm in the poetry, I'm into just quiet meditation, I'm the son of a priest for Pete's sake. You don't want me, God. And God knows what he's about. He knows what he's about. And he takes this, this guy and he makes him a prophet to the nations so that by the time the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, the second time when they destroyed the city, they, they actually did it in three waves. The first wave, they came in and took all the elite officials. That included people like Daniel. The second time they came in, they destroyed the city. Then the third time they came in, they just took whoever was left. And when the Babylonians did that, one of the first questions they asked when they came into the city was, where's Jeremiah? They knew who he was. They'd heard of him. He had won their respect. So Jeremiah was told to look beyond his own circumstances, his own limits, his own horizons as they had been at that time. And to begin to declare the word of God wherever. So think about Jeremiah. You probably wouldn't have picked him in a room. Which one's the prophet? You, you, you wouldn't have picked this guy. He would have looked very ordinary. He would have been very easy to overlook. Very easy. And isn't it the unlikely ones that God calls? More often than not. But when they actually do what they're called to do, isn't it amazing how we can then look back and go, wow, didn't God prepare them? Isn't that the case with Moses? Was he prepared to speak before Pharaoh? Absolutely. He spent 40 years in Pharaoh's palace being groomed and prepared. And you could probably look at your life and go, look, my life is just mundane, routine. There's nothing outstanding about my life, which I would challenge and question that. But I think God is actually preparing each one of us all the time for something he wants us to do. And Jeremiah would have been very easy to overlook, and maybe you have felt that way as well. You know, it says, the prophet Isaiah said of Jesus, that there was nothing about him, no form, no comeliness, which is an old word, which means physical beauty. There was nothing about Jesus. And I know that Leonardo da Vinci would have us think that if we saw a group of guys standing in a, 
in a, or, or sit, seated at a table, you could tell straight away which one was Jesus. He had the frisbee glowing above his head. But, you know, I don't think in actual reality Jesus had a glowing frisbee following him. What is that thing? It's like following me everywhere. <laughs> but there was nothing about him. Nothing about Jeremiah. Sometimes I think we can feel that way. But here's the thing about Jeremiah. He had the unusual privilege of living what we call a compelled life. A compelled life. Before Jeremiah, it was very clear what he was to do. Very clear. How did he get that? Remember when he was young, he was grounded in Scripture. Do you want to live a compelled life? I tell you now, the best way to set yourself up to live a compelled life, a life where you go, I must be about this is to familiarise yourself with God's word. God's word. God has already said to him in verse 8, Don't be afraid, I will deliver you. Verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me... Now, there's a hint here of the prophet Isaiah. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6? When Isaiah has his encounter with God, what was Isaiah's response? I'm a man of unclean lips. What did God do? Took a coal from off the altar, put it on his lips. Jeremiah goes through a similar thing. Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. And there's an immediate application here to the individual. If you want to get your life right with God, there is something that must take place first in your life. And that is this. God must destroy you. Now, that's an unusual message. That's not the kind of message that's going to necessarily attract people to come back. But God must take stuff out of your life, break down stuff in your life, remove stuff from your life in order to build what he wants to build and plant in your life. This is what God spoke through Jeremiah. And if you want to get your life right with God, you've got to allow God to break stuff down, clear it away and build and plant afresh. Sneaking ahead we see that Jeremiah was utterly and completely rejected. See, here's the question. Was Jeremiah successful? So here's the other question. How does God define success? How does God define success? And I want to explore that as we look through this book of Jeremiah. And maybe you have felt singularly unsuccessful in life. Maybe you feel like you've made a complete botch of it. I've got some great news for you. The God who Jeremiah served is a God who can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. He's a God who can unscramble the egg. He's a God who can put your life right. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're able to minister afresh these words that were written some 600 years ago. Sorry, 2,600 years ago as if they were being written to us afresh today. Now, Lord, I pray if there are those hearing me right now and they do feel that their life is a mess and they need help, I pray, Lord, that they would reach out to you, call out for your help, and that, Lord, you would step into their lives and save their songs. In Jesus' name, amen. God called Jeremiah for a specific purpose. Was he successful? 
For a CD copy of tonight's message, the second in a series on Jeremiah, please contact Lagana Media via the website findingtruthmatters.org or at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Podcasts and other resources are also available from the Finding Truth Matters website. To subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Andrew Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We invite you to join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.